afternoon, guys. Comp Center Sports back at you here. We've been gone for about a week, but we are back once again here on Tuesday, February the 18th, 2020, episode number 56. And today, we're going to go back to our New York Mets and talk about some news that has just broke. We're going to talk about Yoannis Cespedes. And with me, as always, my co-host, Ben Nisman. Benny, how you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I, uh felt like it was important for us to take a little breather from the Astros and everything that's going on because, I mean, God knows when the heck it's going to end. You think that maybe time will pass enough, but I want to just focus on something else because let's just do, because I, I know we're going to have to get back to it at some point. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about something that's important to both of us right now because you and I always talk about how one thing affects another thing in this sport especially i mean the lineup how you construct the rotation the connection between the pitcher and the catcher there's i mean it's infinite uh, how many things we can talk about with you know what affects something else and this is just an example it's a guy that feels like he doesn't need to address the media when it, there's an issue in, in his performance, in the performance of the team, um, whether it's good, uh, it, it's, it's brutal because if this guy is actually in game shape and he can play, Joe, and with his contract, he's going to be on the team, mm -hmm. um, I feel like that the culture in a clubhouse, the chemistry is so important to go through a whole season. And if you have one guy that doesn't feel that he needs to talk about somebody's performance, and then you have someone like McNeil or Alonzo that has to wear it instead, how good of a teammate are you being at that point? How helpful are you being to your team, regardless of he's batting 280? Because you could still lose more games just because the the team, the the gel of the team isn't connecting at once. So in my eyes, I think this is a big deal because how can you have a guy what, – what happens if he hits a walk-off home run? Then he's not going to talk anyway? Or is he going to pick the spots when it's convenient for him? I, I don't know how you feel about this, Joe, but I'm definitely curious where you are because – I know performance of a player matters, and I know the fact that he looked good in hitting yesterday is important to some asset, aspect. But at the, in the other direction, I'm just thinking about over a long period of time, how helpful and beneficial is this going into a stretch when you're in a playoff race? Where, do, where does that put you? Where, where are you going to be when this team is in a legitimate run for, let's just say, a division. Maybe you and I are both wrong. Mm -hmm. And they actually are in that run. And they lose a critical game. And they start going on a slide. Just maybe in August, you know, and they start mm -hmm. to maybe fall out of this thing a little bit. And now this guy won't talk and the rest of the team has to? How fair is that? What precedent is the manager setting if he's really going to let his other teammates wear it all the time? Right. You're putting that guy in the position as well. Yeah. So you got the rookie.
rookie manager that now has he all of a sudden has his first challenge right right mm-hmm. out of spring training yeah because he needs to know how he's going to deal with a 34 year old veteran that's played in 38 games in the last two years and zero last year mm-hmm. so how do you handle this how do you handle this player what do you do if this guy's actually healthy enough whether he's in the best shape of his life. Do you and I know that he's in the best baseball shape of his life? You don't need a six pack to play baseball. You just need to be in baseball shape. Right. You could, you know, you could still play in 140 games and not be in that great of health shape. But at the same time, you know, you and I know because it's been said that Yoannis Cespedes is a chain smoker, which is completely beyond the point. I mean, what he's able to do on the field to me is irrelevant. To what we're talking about right, right now, right. and it's the fact that this guy needs to be willing to address the media in any way. And I know it, it's uh, he can speak through an interpreter, so he's uh, understood uh, completely in, in the way that he's he's speaking. So everything is translated appropriately, mm-hmm. so he's not misinterpreted. I think that's completely important. But I, I hope that he meant just maybe not in spring. You know, that's all he meant, or maybe he just said there's going to be times where he's going to not be able to talk, and he was misunderstood. But no, it, it, he meant the whole season, right. the whole season. He's right. not going to talk yeah. to anyone. Yeah. I think this is completely outrageous. I think this is, you know, vital to be taken care of as soon as possible before opening day, because we have some young players on there, this team, and they're still developing, and they are still potentially reaching a ceiling. If that's even crazy to say with two guys like a McNeil or Alonzo, McNeil is 28 now. So, I mean, he's, he's about there. You right. know, we think, yeah, but who knows? I mean, it's only going to be his third year in the league. Maybe he does get better. So, and it's not crazy to think. So you have some uh, young players that are impressionable, that are still developing, that you want them to reach their ceiling at this point. And you don't need a guy that's going to be in the clubhouse that, that isn't a good teammate. I'm I'm sure that guys would stand up and say that this guy was a great teammate, and I'm not I can't knock his performance when he came over in 2015 and him in a whole season in 2016 when they gave him that one year to give him a shot right when he came back and none of us thought that they'd be able to sign him they gave him the one year he proved it and he had a good year in 2016 he's part of the reason they had that wild card game against Bumgarner and they lost three nothing and he didn't do anything in that game but it's one game mm-hmm. you know if there was a series who knows what would have happened. But the guys had the opportunity to, since then, uh, he had decided to go with the heel injury. That was his decision. I guess you can't fault the guy if he's in so much pain that he needs to go through this whole thing. This is his last year. And you know what? He needs the Mets more than we need him, Joe. So regardless of what he's able to do, there was that insurance thing where we get a little bit more money on him. Forget him. You know, tell him to go fry ice in the nicest way possible because I don't need a player like that going into a very, very important season where this team's window is still open. You don't need this on the team. I don't care how much he's paid, Joe. Yeah, let me go ahead and read the article released by the Associated Press uh, on ESPN right now. It was released yesterday, and Ioannis Cespedes, and I'm quoting here, Ioannis Cespedes arrived at spring training and was as silent as his bat has been for most of the past two seasons. 
The New York Mets outfielder stepped back toward his locker as the media approached before the team's first full squad workout on Monday and said, quote, not today, not tomorrow, not at all this year, when asked whether he would talk. A two-time All-Star, Cespedes said he felt no obligation to speak to the media because I don't want to, he explained. Asked whether he would speak to the fans, he replied, to the fans, maybe. Cespedes turned back to his locker, spritzed cologne, and forcefully put the bottle down on his locker. He hit and ran, but did not break with the outfielders as the horn sounded for the fielders to break into two groups when the Mets took the field for the first time in spring training. However, he faced Michael Waka in batting practice and turned on a curveball and drove it just left of the foul pole in left field with home run distance for his best swing of the session. So the question is, he's looking like his timing is going to come. He's got the power apparently, but what kind of impact is he really going to have in 2020 and how much playing time is this man going to accrue? Over the last three seasons, 2016, 2017, and 2018, he has played in 251 games. But 2016 was the year you talked about where it was just a one-year deal. Since signing that massive four-year deal, he has played in 119 games. This is arguably as bad a contract as something like Jason Bay, something like Jeremy Burnitz, something like Mo Vaughn. Those terrible, terrible contracts of the Steve Phillips era. This has been an unmitigated disaster. And 2020 doesn't look like it's going to be much of anything. Because our outfield positions are already spoken for. If this cuts into J.D. Davis's playing time, I don't think there are very many Mets fans who are going to sign up for that. Who are going to be a fan of that. But by the same token, there's not a whole lot you can do to try to get this guy off the roster right now. He is owed somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 million base salary, but there are so many incentives off of the negotiation that they had with him in the offseason that it could balloon all the way to $22 million based on playing time. So the question is, where does that money fall, and what are the Mets going to do with this albatross that they've got in left field right now? Right. So what do you think the best solution is at this point? Because you have a hungry player that wants to play his ass off, obviously, and make the most money and get a free agent contract going into 2021. I and you did not mind the deal going into 2017. We were signing up for a four-year deal, okay? And I think there are plenty of Mets fans that wanted it too. So it's okay to be wrong. Steve Phillips, when he brought in some of the guys you mentioned, and Robbie Alomar and Cedeno bring him back, he wanted he was willing to take less money to be there. Guess what? It wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. They were terrible that year, and we were all wrong. But I just remember us all saying, you know, even though it we're wrong, like it's not our job. It's the job of the general manager to get it right. This, I mean, Sandy and everyone, they, they should have just called it after 2016. But at the same time, you're living with it, and you only have to deal with it for one more year. The question is, how do you best play it? Because you still 
guy. But Rojas is on the hot seat here because maybe he can convince this guy to say, listen, might not be a good idea to go with this. And here's the reason why. You know, Mm -hmm. he he can communicate it appropriately enough, Joe. He has this opportunity right now to nip it in the bud and say, listen, I think you can still go back on it. You can retract it and say, listen, I said that, but... I wouldn't want my teammates to wear it. I want to be. I want to take responsibility for it. I don't like it. I don't want to. But yeah, I'll talk. And I think that would be a better way to handle it. And of course, he has to deal with the pressures of it. But like, that's he's not doing himself any good because what team is going to want to sign him in the future anyway? Unless he's thinking, you know what? I'm good for life. This is going to be my last year in baseball anyway. Mm-hmm. So let me just try to make the most money, and I don't care. Like, I don't want to deal with people anymore, and I don't want to deal with the sport anymore. And maybe he's not looking for a free agent contract, but I would think he is. I think he's still hungry for it. I'm going to assume he is. Uh, I don't know where you stand on it right now, Joe, but, like, yeah, they do have a log jam in that outfield. And a good problem to have is a lot of guys hungry for a spot, but not when it's a teammate like this. A guy... That in a walk year, it's a we have a whole different scenario here. Right, and and the contract, like I said, was very incentive laden for this year. His his base salary is six million dollars. He's guaranteed that much, but the second he makes the active roster or is placed on the IL with something other than his ankles from the ankle fracture that he missed all last year for, his his salary jumps to eleven million dollars. And he'll be able to break the $20 million threshold through a series of plate appearances, plate appearance bonuses totaling $9 million. If he reaches 650 uh, plate appearances, he will earn that entire amount. Now, I don't know whether or not 650 plate appearances is what we'll see Yoannis Cespedes at this year. I would be absolutely shocked if he reaches that threshold. But I will admit that if he does get close... That probably means he's having a really good year. And if he's having a good year and contributing at a high level for the New York Mets, then the Mets are probably having a good year. So the question remains, if Ioannis Cespedes gets off to a good start and has an April where he hits six or seven home runs, that'd be amazing. I would be very happy. It would probably... Let's even say more. Let's say nine. Okay. If he has a big April... And he hits nine home runs in the first month. I think it cuts into J.D. Davis's playing time. I think Rojas has to get very creative about how he gets that bad into the lineup without losing McNeil and without losing Cano. There's a ripple effect that happens across this team. You know, do they... They certainly can't play Cespedes in center field like they were in 2016. That's just not an option. And Conforto in center field is another disaster waiting to happen. So to try to go with an outfield of Cespedes, Conforto, and Davis cuts into Nimmo, cuts into our defense as a team, and it's just something that Luis Rojas, as a rookie manager, is going to have a very difficult time picking and choosing his spots about where to use this albatross of a bat. I keep going back to that word because it really is the biggest one on the team right now. If they can find a way for him to have a big first half, let's say he goes into the all-star break with 16 home runs. It's a pretty good first half. And that's only seven more than what we're asking out of a big April, right? 
So we're asking for, for a fairly decent first half. You can trade this guy to an AL contender as a DH. Right. That's where it kills, I guess, when you don't have the DH in the NL because mm-hmm. right now that logjam is real. And mm-hmm. the ripple effect that you mentioned is what I was talking about in the monologue, that one thing affects the next. Right. And every time you stunt a J.D. Davis or, dare I say, a Nimmo, because I, I, I've seen the streak there, that mm-hmm. when they're on a hot streak, you stop it from happening because you got to get other people in the lineup. Right. Instead of just letting it all play out, keeping guys where they're comfortable. Do you? I understand it's important to get rest for every one of the guys, but do you really think it's beneficial to take Jeff McNeil out of the lineup when he's completely healthy on no. any day this season? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jeff McNeil is the best pure hitter on this team, and arguably a top 10 pure hitter in baseball right now. You cannot take this guy out of the lineup for an experiment of a guy who's played 130-some-odd games in the last three seasons. As far as the talk of him not speaking to the media this season is concerned, it is... It is disgusting to think that this guy has the gall after missing an entire year and taking money over the last three years of very disappointing seasons. 2016, thank you. 2015, I will always remember you for. But those are four and five years ago now. His performance over the last three seasons, 17, 18, and 19, are... Not what this team has needed is not what this team signed up for, is not what this fan base has signed up for, and it is not what he was being paid for. So, yes, to an extent, he deserves to be put in front of the media. And look, you want to make one statement about the topic of the injury last year and say, I'm not taking questions on it after today. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But for one day, for one half hour session with the media, do us the do us the solid as somebody who has been paid by this organization for the last three seasons and answer the questions. I want to know what you're doing now in the offseason with these boar traps on your ranch. I want to know if you think it was a good idea for you to be coming off of heel surgery and be chasing around wild boars on your ranch. I want to know what you're doing, and what you've done this offseason to get yourself back in the best shape of your life after releasing a video with all of these people and all of these news outlets being quoted over your over your video about how he's done and the Mets need to move on and he's not going to perform and he's not going to come back. And now you're coming back saying, no, I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to hit 52 home runs in a season because... These are the things you've said. Nobody prompted you for these, but now you have to answer for it. And now you need to look at look at look down the barrel of that camera and say, "Yeah, I'm healthy. Here's why. Here's how I got there, and this is what I'm going to do this year." Otherwise, you're just being a coward. And the fans who have paid to come to see you and have paid your salary for the last 3 years, what do we get? We get, yeah, maybe I'll talk to those guys. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really 
how how can you help the team in any way except performance? And it seems like this guy has nothing to bring to the clubhouse. And if that's the case, I, I don't think he should be on the team. I do not. Yeah. I don't know. You can't. You can't release him at this point. So yeah. like. What do you do? Can you just have him sitting on the bench? No, because it's just going to be brutal mm-hmm. in the clubhouse. Yeah, it's 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 a major issue right now, mm-hmm. and it's the first test for Rojas. That's the best way I can say it. It's it's the first chance that this guy can say, "Listen, retract what you said, and figure figure out a way to say, listen, I know it's important to talk to the media because right now." he needs to understand how that affects the rest of the team and everybody around him. Right. And you're right. Uh, he should be willing to accept questions regarding what he's doing in the off season and what he's doing to prepare for what's about to happen, you know, because he's still a part of this team that people thought, you know, I, I think most people figured that he's a bonus if he's there. But at some point, we thought for four years, this guy is going to help us through it to get us to where he almost got us, which is the ring. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's really tough, man. But, like, I don't envy the position of Rojas. But this is one of the reasons we talked about having a, a Spanish-speaking manager was very important for the Mets and having a guy that can communicate right there. Like, in that way, I mean, for that, that's what Brody wanted to sign up for. Mm-hmm. So this is an opportunity right there, and I just, I just hope they're able to figure it out before opening day because the expectations are still high for this team. They aren't necessarily for you and I, but like when all things are considered, they they do have an extremely talented group of guys with big personalities too. And Noah Syndergaard has been very expressive. You know, we know that Pete Alonso is pretty animated. I mean, and a lot of them got an opportunity to show it last year when they were going on that run. Conforto and J.D. Davis, after big wins, they would just scream out to Mets fans, like, we did it for you guys. Like, you guys are helping us so much by being out here and supporting us. We love you guys so much. I what mean, felt these... like what felt like the heart and soul of last year was Dominic Smith, and this is another guy who has to sort of bear the brunt of it and bear the playing time loss right. of all of this. Right, no. Absolutely no, and he's, and I mean he's that happens also with like a Matt Adams signing. He's just mm. kind of in burrowed in there, but like if he can just grind it out and you know wait until it's his time, maybe his time will come. Mm-hmm. And if he's a mature enough player, he'll be able to do that because what he showed us on the final day of the season, hitting a walk off home run to close out the season when you're down in extra innings, mm-hmm. was so awesome and so meaningful and so speaks to the heart and the soul of the group that says, listen, we will put it at ease. And I understand they weren't playing for anything at that point as far as the playoffs are concerned, but it's the last thing the fans get to see this season at home. And it was off his bat. And the right. team and the and the camaraderie there and the connection, it's so there. And in a, in a world that you and I are living with, with Twitter, social media, whatever, where you see how expressive and how animated some of these players are and how impressionable some will be. I think it's just important to keep a type of even keel, chill clubhouse 
with everyone that's willing to do whatever it takes and and step up for another guy. And I think being able to speak to the media is such an example of that. Yeah. You know, to be able to say that the reason we lost was because of me. Mm-hmm. Like I played like crap, and that's why we lost. Right. And I need to be able to perform better. I I know that I'm capable of it. And whatever you have to do, and if you have to deal with a tough question, like that's part of the profession. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to be an awesome celebrity. You know, for the rest of your life, like will always know his name. Right. So why don't you just try and wear it just because your teammates will actually appreciate it and maybe they'll perform well also. And maybe it still matters for to you for your team to win and get as far as they can because it matters to them and it needs to matter to you just as much. And everyone needs to be on the same page and winning is just as important to the next guy. And it seemed to me last year, we had a group of guys that really wanted to win, mm-hmm. that really cared, and actually looked so excited when they won games by a walk-off yeah. or a big pitching performance. You could see it on their in their faces. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their body language how much they enjoyed playing baseball mm-hmm. and how much they liked winning baseball games and how much they wanted to be in the playoffs. And that's what you want. And if this guy doesn't want it as much, he's not beneficial for the team, even if he can bat 300 and and hit 18 bombs Joe in the first half I really just feel like his performance it doesn't matter because when it comes down the stretch when when things are down do you want this guy even if he's still performing well do you want him when you're in a stretch where things aren't looking good when you know he's this type of personality I mean there, there were guys that had you know, maybe obnoxious personalities like Jeff Kent or Barry Bonds and you can argue I don't necessarily want those guys on my team Barry Bonds that team did almost win the World Series, but there were a lot of teams, a lot of teams that he was on that didn't go that far, you right. know, and right. didn't win a lot of games. Even though his games he played, like, you know, how he played, they didn't make the playoffs in two thousand one when he had that awesome season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, yeah. So what yeah. are we talking about? Like, I mean, right. you right. can have the best player with the most freakish robotic numbers, like a Mike Trout. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, and Mike Trout is a great clubhouse player, but that's that's not a good example. But, you know, some of these guys that we talked about that weren't that great in the clubhouse, it does affect other players. Mm-hmm. And maybe their performances were bet, would be better if there wasn't a, you know, C word on the team. Right. You know? Yeah. And, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And yeah. the, the, the questions I have is what will Yoannis Cespedes bring to this team in 2020, right? That's the big question. What kind of performance can we expect? And the only thing we have to look at is past and look at how he performed in 2018 when he was on the field and 2017 when he was on the field. Now, those stats aren't eye-popping, but there's something there, there are some good things to look at here because that man brings a ton of power to that lineup that otherwise, outside of Pete Alonso, this team really doesn't have. Right. You, know? you hope you're getting it from Conforto. You hope so. But at the, right. at the same time, I feel like Conforto is more, and, I, and despite the fact that he hit 30 homers last year, I feel like Conforto is more of a doubles hitter, more of, a, more of an on-base guy. Cespedes right. is just pure, raw, unmitigated power. Right. right. 
In a hundred huh. in thirty eight games in twenty eighteen, he hit nine homers, drove in twenty nine RBIs. But the numbers that I like to look at when it comes to a guy like Cespedes in that ilk, where he is just a raw power hitter, is his slugging percentage and his isolated power. So, his, so his slugging percentage was rather low for him in twenty eighteen at four ninety six, and that's coming off of twenty seventeen in eighty one games, half a season, literally where he slugged 540. Now, when we look at the isolated power and home runs per plate appearance, that has not changed in the three previous seasons that he's played, right? 2016, he had he had uh, about a, point f- a 0.057 home runs per plate appearance, 0.053 in 2017, 0.057 in 2018. So that, that rate at which he's hitting home runs did not waver. And if we can wow. get something like that, from him and utilize him in the right spots, he could be a very valuable weapon. But maybe, but, but again, you know, 2015, he's 30 years old now, he's 34 years old, right? right. It, it might be a little, it might be a little different. He does still bring potentially just as much power as the next guy, you know, and more right. when he's in the lineup. And our, we don't have really a home run hitting ballpark, mm. so but not to say that home runs aren't still important when you can just put an automatic run on the board. Or more with men on base, like it is, it does change the ball game. So I'm not gonna not that having a home run hit another home run hitting guy is important on this team. It is, but I also don't need a guy that's just like swinging for the fences. Like he does need to be a smart hitter Agreed. and actually hit for average, you know, and be a situational hitter. And I know that he can be that because we have seen him do that. Right. You know, I we definitely see him with a guy on third base and less than two out, just go for the sack fly. You know, the you know he's. I mean that's just, I mean that's basically him going for power anyway. But I have seen him like with smart at bats in certain mm-hmm. situations, and not swinging at dumb pitches with guys on base, like not swinging at a curveball on the long count or whatnot. Right. But um, what I'm saying is, regardless of what he can bring performance-wise, I'm talking just about like the chemistry of all clubs yes. and going through a stretch that's important in August or September when maybe you're going through a, a losing 7 out of 10 or something, mm-hmm. and you need to get back on track. Does this guy help you do that just with his performance? I don't necessarily think so, Joe, because you need you need everybody to be gelling, you know, and his and him and not wanting to talk about it, you know, through that bad stretch and everyone else having to go through the struggles might be not as easy for them to get out of their personal slumps. Right. And you need everybody clicking at the same time. You want no one to be slumping necessarily. It's okay. It happens. Everyone's going to go through their slump during the season. Have the slump. When you're going through a team slump, it's okay. It happens. We see with teams all the time. The Cincinnati Reds couldn't score a run for like a week out of the in April in the mm-hmm. beginning of the season when I thought they were going to be a good team last year. It happens. You're going to get out of it. But when it happens in September, and you got one guy that doesn't feel like talking to the media, and the whole season you guys have had to wear it, where does that put them when they're trying to get out of their own personal struggles, when they really need to finish off the season strong? And it's just, uh, that's my concern, Joe. I do believe that he can technically help the team with his production on the field. But off the field is... To me, you can argue it's just as important sometimes. I do believe there were teams in the World Series that had guys that weren't good teammates on it. I know that for a fact. It's 
probably happened every single year where there wasn't wasn't good teammates that were still performing on the field enough for them to win a championship. Right. But for a lot of time, you would argue that teams didn't make it, didn't even make the playoffs because the clubhouse was a mess and you had a manager that couldn't handle it. So leave it to Rojas to get it going here. This is his first test. Try to get things on the right foot and on the right track right before opening day because this is not, we talk about a good problem to have when there's a lot of Jimmy Alpha. This is not a good problem to have. This guy being an extra guy that you have a, a pretty decent financial commitment to, this is a humongous issue and a whole different scenario of having a, you know, a, a, a clogged outfield. This is the worst case scenario. So it was important for us to break this down and talk about it because I am passionate about what can happen to this team this year because I just don't want to go through another year that starts that starts off with them getting 11 and one, having a hot streak. We've all seen that episode before. Yeah, we know how it goes. We've seen this like, sitcom we before. We've seen this. We've seen this embarrassment of starting off 10 games over 500 and finishing a season not in the playoffs. Mediocre. Yeah. You know, or just, or yeah, winning season. <laughs> mm-hmm. 2014 was like a nice step. We were like, oh, we see them kind of going in the right direction. And 2015 right. was just a magical season. And mm-hmm. 2016 was a nice year. And then just we know where it went from there. Right. We know what the expectations, right. what the talent, when you have the, the pitching performances of Jacob DeGrom two years in a row. And if most people would have to be asked who's going to win the Cy Young in the National League next year, they would probably say Jacob DeGrom. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, I mean, we have so many talented players on this team when we have, you know, all these young, talented guys that could potentially still be reaching at the top of their potential level. So if you have one guy in the clubhouse that's stunting that growth, I think that's really, I think that's, it's so critical to get everyone on the same page. And if he can't, you know, do that, then he doesn't need to be on the team. You figure out a way to just isolate him. Yeah. Because that's what he wants to be. He wants to be different and not be able to talk to people and find, isolate him, find a way to get him out of that because it's a horrible situation. I don't care what he does with his bat. I don't care how how great his arm is. I understand that he's, you know, like, like almost like a Bo Jackson type of talent with his athleticism. Mm-hmm. That's a really like good that, comp. That is a really that good kind, That kind of athleticism that we're talking about is mm-hmm. such a pure athlete and so much talent. I'm not arguing that, man. But, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, we, we the Mets, have the one diva. You know, mm-hmm. I'm at, maybe there are more guys like this. I, I don't know myself, but it's just that that now it's in the forefront. It's so clear that we have the, the diva that doesn't want to talk about it. But, there, you know, you could say that, you know, some of those drama queens, they love to talk. They want to talk as much as yes. possible. No, yes. no, no, this one is too good for us. You know, right. he doesn't want to talk to people. How do you, do you want people to be wearing Cespedes jerseys? Do you want people to like you? Do you want people care and want to root for you as fans, but you have to put this out to the world, you put yourself in a bad situation nationally. You know, socially, you put yourself in a bad situation. Right. Why do this to yourself? Why do this to your organization? Why do this for your career going forward? In all aspects, this is a foolish move by this guy. And I, I don't know who his agent is, who his management, who his personal management is, 
but his PR guy is horrendous. Mm-hmm. And he's been horrendous for a while. For everything that Cespedes has been through in the last couple of years, he's been awful with handling Cespedes. And it's, and maybe he's just a loose cannon, and your agent just wants money and doesn't really care about how you look in society. But right now, he looks like a clown, Joe. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it'll be interesting to see what the Mets do with him. As far as playing time or any potential trade is concerned, I could see him getting flipped at some point to an AL contender as a DH bat. And look, we've seen what he is capable of in a midseason trade. Just look at 2015. He could absolutely put a team on his back and carry them to the World Series, or he can be an absolute albatross on the end of your on the end of your roster that you're flushing money down the down the toilet to. I. I look forward to seeing what what Luis Rojas is capable of with this. And you said it. You said it yourself. This is his first real test. We thought the real test would be, you know, how he handles Robinson Cano if he gets off to a slow start. That's not as big an issue as this one with Cespedes playing time and talking to the media. It's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. This is it. This is the biggest first test that he has, more so than the Cano thing. Uh, his decision on, you know, who's going to be in the rotation, who's going to be in the bullpen, it's definitely this. Mm -hmm. Benny, thank you for bringing up this topic. You know, this was absolutely your idea. You've carried this show, and I thank you so much for being here with me. No, thanks for giving me the platform to talk about it, Joe, because, yeah, it's important to me. It's it's important to many Mets fans because, like I said in the beginning, one thing affects the other. You don't want that trickle effect. You don't want that going over to the next player in the clubhouse. So. Thanks for letting me talk about it. It wasn't, wasn't a good subject to talk about it, but at least it was good for us to get it off our chest and say okay. what we needed to. So thanks to you, man. Yep, anytime. And guys, if you're listening to us on Anchor or on Stitcher or on Google Podcasts or on Spotify, thank you guys so much for being here with us. We are loving the growth that this show is having. Go ahead and share this with all of your Mets fan, Met fan friends and go ahead and share it on all of your social media. For those of you watching on YouTube, thank you so much for being here. Our growth is just wonderful and we certainly appreciate every bit of that. Go ahead and give us a subscription. That button's going to be right here. And go ahead and check out our last episode. That one's going to be right here. Until next time, it's been real. It's been fun. And it's always real fun in the bigs. We'll see you next time.